What is up, guys? This is Matt Workman for Cinematography Database, and you are listening to my Anchor podcast for now called Cinematography All the Things. If you're listening to it on the web, I suggest getting the app and listening to it there. If you're listening to it on iTunes or Google Play, I also recommend just going and getting the Anchor app because we are going to be featuring a call-in today, and if you have the app and you want to ask a question or give feedback, if you have the Anchor app, you can call in and maybe you'll be on the show. So today we're going to be talking about the future of cinematography from my point of view. Um, This was actually one of the topics of my very, very first podcast, and I recorded that podcast, and then I deleted it, and I never put it out. So maybe today we'll talk a tiny bit about that. I want to keep it as positive as possible, because I know there's a lot of up-and-coming filmmakers who listen to the content I put out there. But first, let's listen to our call-in. Hey, I wanted to ask a question about what you think the future of cinematography or actually just cinematographer the position looks like because right now you know there's sort of this flood of cinematographers i think coming out of film schools and stuff which is great and that's good um but at the higher levels right we're watching the blockbusters and everything is just like green screen and so it seems like all the art and even a lot of the lighting is done on a computer now. So, and I, it seems like you have a good thumb in this visual effects world um, with cine designer and things like that. So, I wonder what your predictions of what the future of cinematographers look like. Thanks, Matt. So, let's start addressing some of the questions and topics here on. The uber high end of feature film cinematography movies and you have to include now on-demand shows which are becoming kind of like bigger than movies uh, in their own right um, like Game of Thrones like um, other shows like that I don't, I don't honestly watch a lot of television but I know that they're huge I did watch the early episodes of Game of Thrones and there's a tremendous amount of visual effects And so, before I get into that, I will say that cinematography, people like to talk about the golden age of cinematography, and they like to think that there was this pure, um, 100% filmmaker, you know, authentic, no visual effects era of filmmaking, and it's really never existed, and really the, the act of turning, or of capturing light and projecting it onto celluloid or to a digital sensor, that itself is a visual effect. But to take it even into a more concrete example is that even the earliest of feature films had visual effects in it, talking about like The Great Train Robbery and Charlie Chaplin and all that stuff. So there's always been visual effects because we want to see things that are not possible in the real world or that would be difficult to do in the real world. So there's always been visual effects. And in the end, I, I really see it being as long as the experience is good and the story is good, whatever tools are needed to make that happen, um, everything is fair and love and war and making movies and images and whatnot. So now we have more and more tools at our disposal and the computer is a big one and it's only going to be more and more relevant over time. And for cinematographers, it's even more important for them to learn 
how to work in the newer ecosystem where there is visual effects. So, you know, if you're a commercial cinematographer, you're going to be dealing with green screens and you're going to be dealing with a lot of visual effects because commercials have so much visual effects happening in them. And the same with movies. If you're not on the same page as the VFX supervisor, then the, the whole project isn't going to work out. And I think that if you speak to a lot of the top cinematographers who are working on movies like that, they are very, very um, open to working very closely and collaborating with the visual effects team, just like they would be with the colorist or the production designer or the other major departments that go into making the visual effects or the, the final visual of a film. Really, the cinematographer is a big part of the of the filmmaking process, especially because politically now they consult with the director quite a bit. But they are one person in a very, very large team. Even if you're just considering head of departments, there's still just one person in that team and everyone needs to work together. So as you, if you aspire to make that type of content where you're working on Game of Thrones and you're working on Star Wars and, and Ready Player One, that sort of thing, you better be ready to understand virtual cinematography and it's especially one of the one of the niceties of people who have started to use cine designer is that that can kind of act as a bridge from practical cinematography into virtual cinematography and it's a way for people who are not so inclined with 3D to learn it in i think a very intuitive real world based way so really, really high-end commercial and really, really high-end feature films, that is a very small percentage of the working cinematographers in the world. It's incredibly small, very few people are actually working at that level. And if we take a step backwards towards the probably the more average-sized productions, like the smaller TV shows, smaller commercials, that are, you know, they still have budgets, you're still shooting with proper crews and cameras, but they're not like Super Bowl commercials and they're not full-on James Cameron epic uh, movies. Um, for that type of content, I, I think that those cinematographers are in a great place because this is the the bar of quality that Netflix wants. This is the quality that Amazon's going to want and Apple, right? So they're not going to be able to pour like $300 million or whatever per movie or per show um, for a lot of those properties. And we're seeing a lot of television shows being produced at incredible quality. So the cinematographers that are living now or working now that have spent the I would say probably like 15 years or so it probably takes about 15 years to get good enough and and really have the industry credit if you've been doing it for 15 years and you've done a couple TV shows and you're at that point in your career now you're in a great place there's so much content being produced like that New York doesn't have enough sound stages they can't build the stages fast enough to fill it up all the overflow um, from Atlanta as well. Atlanta doesn't have enough stages to house how much production is happening. So it's a great time and I'm friends with a lot of the DPs who are working at that level and it's there's so much content going out like that and that's going to be a great time. So we have really nice cameras like the Alexa and the Red, Epic W or whatever, the Dragon, whatever sensor you want to use. They're great. They're all great. D despite all the the, the flame wars and camera wars, they're both amazing cameras, the Veracam's great, they're all really good. And with the advancements of LED, I think that we have a lot more flexibility to even go to be on location with smaller packages and high sensitivity, good optics, we're in such a great place, everyone has resolved because it's free, you know, I think that the quality there is going to be where a lot of the 
um, mainstream innovation is going to be coming from, really pushing the boundary. So I think that cinematographers that have put in the 15, 20 years and are at that point in their career shooting those kind of television shows and content for the big new networks, and here's a new word I learned the other day is FANG, where the old guard used to be, um, the big media giants used to be like CNBC and Fox and those type of things. Now, now it's FANG, which is F-A-N-G, which stands for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, and Google being, of course, YouTube, um, they are all going to be producing content at that level, and they're going to be looking for cinematographers of, of about that stature. Maybe there's a there's a handful of DPs that have been doing it for 10 years that are at that level, but really it's more like 15, 20 from what I've been seeing out there. So I think for that level of cinematography, we're in a great place. There are amazing tools, very high-end, uh, making lighting a little bit easier, and you're going to get... Um, I think a little bit more creative freedom than you did with the more main mainstream television shows. Now, even the Netflix, the Game of Thrones, they really give a lot of authorship to the directors, showrunners, and DPs on those projects from all the interviews I've heard and people I've spoken to. So that is really, I think, um, a great place to focus as far as um, where cinematography is going. I think there's going to be a lot of great content in that space. So we've talked about the Uber high-end, which is probably not that relevant to the majority of people listening to this, because there's just not that many of the people doing that. You can aspire to get there, I hope that you do. That would be awesome. And we also talked about the Fang content. This is going to be somewhat the higher end of content for TV shows, documentaries, that sort of thing. And those are going to have really good budgets, and there's, there's so many tools that's going to be a great place for cinematographers, and we're going to need great filmmakers to create the massive libraries of content that all these networks now want. Now, so right below that, I would say, and this is not in like quality or just, um, you know, how good the filmmakers are in this space. It would say, I would say it's like kind of where the budgets are is going to be, that's how I'm rating this stuff. It's kind of like the budget numbers and the resources and what your life will look like to work in that space. I think they're all going to be very different. Um, the next category is content, and that's where I lived for quite a while, was shooting content for Facebook, Google, Converse, a bunch of, a lot of social campaigns going down, and kind of the morphing from the either high-end to mid-high-end and middle and low of commercial content, which was for television, which was for um, uh, TV promos, that sort of thing, that's where I came from with Viacom and those type of networks and NBC. That stuff is all just becoming content now. All the commercials, the short films, the, do the documentaries that are short, you know, like Vice, and all that stuff is becoming just content, and it's going to be deployed on Fang as well, Facebook, Google, that sort of thing. And those budgets, if you were used to the high-end, which is, again, sort of where I was coming from, from high-end content, like pretty big budget content spots, those budgets are going to get much smaller and smaller because there's so much of it being made and the content only lives for honestly a day. It's it's you could almost delete that content after it's gone. I mean, some of it lives on for a week, but really content flies by so quickly. Multiple multiple pieces of content coming out a day if you're a big network like Vox, Virgin, Vice. That's there's like 50 new videos a day, you know what I mean? So the budgets for those are lower, but the tools to accomplish that content are there on the camera side. Now on the production side, it still takes as long as it takes to fly to a location and shoot something and edit it, but there are tools now with honestly an A6500, an A7S, and a shotgun mic. You should be able to make something happen with that. I feel like I can do that. There are better tools and 
I think I think at that point the tool is not the limit. It's about how quickly you can work and how fast you can adapt to the situation. So this kind of hybrid content, um, documentary, short form stuff that's going to be so much of the game for so many people. The budgets are lower. I don't know what the salaries are going to look like for that type of stuff. I actually see a lot of staff positions coming in that situation, and these really are. I think in this case we're going to see way less cinematographers and I'm already seeing this as a trend. There aren't as many people that are going to be doing just camera work. That role doesn't always exist on the in the content world. Really, the, you're going to probably be better served to be a director, editor, shooter, sound, and whatever. And that's kind of what I've become as far as a YouTuber is having to do all those things. Whereas previously to running cinematography database, I was just camera and lighting. I didn't know about anything about mics, I sucked at editing, I still suck at editing, I don't know anything about color, or not nothing, but I couldn't, I wasn't the person operating it. In the content world, you're basically a predator, and that's a great place to be. I think that's what the YouTubers are, the Viners, the people who are kind of bootstrapped making content on their own. You're going to be in a really good place to go work for companies and media outlets that need content like this. And you can still put your spin on it, you can still make it beautiful. If you want to focus on lighting, you still can. But really, it's going to be a lot about quantity and consistency of content. And that's where a lot of people are going to end up. And we have the prosumer market with the A7Ss, the C300s, that sort of stuff. That's really what that market is going to need as far as tools. And I'll say that the last category for now, and it's definitely not the least category, is that Content is moving into a space, and I'm talking about live action content, I'm not even going to get into virtual reality and augmented reality and, and virtual cinematography on this one, that's a completely different world that I'm not even sure I want to address on this particular podcast, but what I'll say for the live action content as well is that there's also just pure social app-based content and live, and you cannot discredit how big a percentage of the world that's already taking up platforms like Snapchat, Instagram Stories. Twitch, which is live for gaming and other other categories as well. Live.me, the biggest live streaming platform. Musically, these platforms are being are massive. There's a, there's so many viewers to this. Mostly young people, right? So if you're over the age of like 15, you may not have even heard of some of these, and you're definitely not on them. But this is the way that people are watching content now. We're talking about the young people, so that in 15 years, these will be the adults, the decision makers. These are the people that. You know, the decision makers, but they'll be they'll be they'll be working. They'll have created companies by them, that sort of thing. This is content that is created on a phone, edited on a phone, deployed on a phone, and consumed all on a phone and mobile. And sometimes it's just live, and the the content doesn't keep existing. And it's not about the editing. It's not about the traditional filmmaking cinematography model with lighting and bad lighting always makes it look worse, but it's it's not the same type of filmmaking. And this is becoming a bigger and bigger and bigger category. And this podcast is even an example of it, where I'm not recording into a nice sure microphone with nice preamps and editing it and adding audio. I'm just talking into my phone, editing it on my phone, and you're going to listen to it on your phone probably. So this is another category where live and social and phone mobile Filmmaking, this is a huge category. It's a really big category, and what that means 
to traditional filmmakers and cinematographers is you just need to keep an open mind. The game keeps changing, and we're already seeing the old model trying to be shoehorned into this model, and we see people shooting with really high-end cameras for Snapchat and trying to make all this really polished content for Snapchat delivery and 4x5 vertical and Instagram stories. And in my opinion, it actually looks really bad like if you over it's, it's overproducing at that point if you try to force the old school mo model of content into these platforms it doesn't ring true it's just bad advertising again but on the new platform the new type of advertising the new type of content really does um favor authenticity and live and being real and actually being more human so there's there's this whole movement now that's happening on social and I'm, I'm tracking it very closely and I try to do my version of it when I can and when it feels right and makes sense that as filmmakers it doesn't even seem like filmmaking, it seems like webcamming or something like that, but you, it would be foolish if you want to continue to work in this space or near it um, to discredit that and not pay attention to how much mobile filmmaking, mobile consumption and live streaming is really becoming such a big category for the younger um, the younger audience and there who are going to be uh, that's a big category of people that marketers are trying to sell to as far as watching television shows selling products to etc so it's a whole nother category that I think people really need to take a step back um, look at it from a bigger picture and you know try to understand where you might fit in in that space maybe you don't fit in maybe that's not something you ever want to get your hands on but uh, there's a huge fragmentation as far as the type of content that's out there, and I feel like I tried to break down in this mini-podcast here. This is just a podcast now. This is my... I don't make hour-long podcasts anymore. This is kind of my very broad, broad survey of that and where cinematographers and filmmakers kind of fit in as well. Each category I could go much, much deeper on. Each platform I've spent a lot of time on now, I have my opinions on them, and I test out different theories and that sort of thing, but... That is kind of my 2017 July, is that what it is? July of 2017 view of the future of cinematography um, without, re without addressing virtual reality and augmented reality and that sort of stuff. So that is going to wrap it up for this episode. Thanks so much for calling in. And guys, if you want to participate, which I would love for you to do, if you're a cinematographer, you have a question, you have your point of view, you can disagree with me, you know, we can have whole internet fights about things on the platform. Um, that's what I really like about it, and what I didn't like about my old podcast is there was really no way to get good feedback. It was more or less clunky to bring people on the show. This was really um, a more interactive platform, and that's what I'm trying to put together with this podcast and still deliver the same type of content to you. So if you can, if you're interested, definitely go check out and download the Anchor app. And send me, send me a call in. Send me a question. Send me something. You know, I would love this to be way more community focused. That's something that I have said on socials. I'm trying to do more with Cinematography Databases. Feature more of the actual community and have it be more responsive. Instead of me just making the titles and the headlines, I'd love to hear what you guys are interested in and your questions specifically. Questions, questions really are a great call in for me. Like this one, the question helps me... Um, figure out an episode and figure out an answer to it and then we can we can I will also share other people's call-ins or feedback to that episode so thanks so much for listening I'll see you guys tomorrow <laughs>